Hey, Aria, pleasure to have you on the Primal side. Welcome. Of course, Brandon. Thanks for having me. No problem. For those who don't know, this is Aria Nanda. He is an animal-based athlete enthusiast who plans on competing in bodybuilding and powerlifting shows in the future, and he is a certified coach as well. Um, I wanted to hear a lot about his story. This is always the first question I ask everyone is, how did you become animal-based? How did you figure out this lifestyle? How did you figure out the vegetables are toxic? Because to most people, this lifestyle is pretty damn unique, uh, and you, you, everybody sort of has their own way of figuring out the, getting their niche into a, uh, a meat-based kind of way of eating. So how'd you, how'd you come to this way? What, what ultimately led you to this way of eating? Yeah, absolutely. So my journey started about almost a year ago. I was like a typical 22 year old. I was just eating whatever my mom made me. I was, um, I was in college last year. I graduated this past uh, spring semester. So I was living at home for the most part of my college career. And yeah, I was just kind of like eating whatever. I was still into like the gym and like fitness and whatsoever, but yeah, I never really took nutrition. I was like a typical gym bro. Like I didn't right. take nutrition seriously. I would just focus on like getting as big as possible. But then like it eventually caught up to me and um, I started developing like gut issues. I would have really bad eczema on my hairline, on my arm, on my, the back of my leg. Um, yeah, and it just wasn't like I, I didn't feel good at all. So I started researching like a typical like overthinker would. And um, I came across Dr. Stephen Gundry, um, yeah. who's famous for his plant paradox diet. So I read a few of his books and I was totally hooked on that. So I started playing around with plant paradox diet. And for those of you who don't know what it is, it's pretty much a lectin elimination diet. Uh, lectins are the part of the plant, uh, a protein of a a protein of the plant that um, causes gut issues in some people, mm -hmm. specifically leaky gut. So um, the diet pretty much comprised of mostly vegetables, um, a little bit of meat, um, one serving of seafood per day, and then a complete elimination of lectins, of seed oils, of pretty much any sugars. That includes I'm sure you. I'm sure you still felt better. Yeah, a lot better. It was definitely a step in the right direction, but, and I definitely lost weight, but, you know, I still was going around with brain, brain fog and um, I still had some bloating and gut issues and then kind of figured maybe this isn't the right approach for me and I need to do a little bit more research. So about almost a year ago, I want to say February, I came across the carnivore diet. I, I think I was just like perusing through the internet and I heard Joe Rogan talking about it. And I think I saw Dr. Sean Baker's interview on the Joe Rogan podcast yeah. and I was interested. And what really stuck with me is how simple the diet was. I mean, there's two protocols you eat. If it comes from an animal, like eat as much of it as you want. And then just focus on feasting, not counting calories. And that really stuck with me because like I didn't want to become overly obsessed with the way I ate in terms of like being super meticulous with what I had to like track. I just yeah. want to like eat and not think about it at all. So I started the carnivore diet. Um, and then for about 90 days, I stuck with it. Um, totally healed my gut issues. My eczema was completely gone. And then Beginning of the summer, I 
transition more to an animal base just to help with my workouts. And that was it for me. That was, I, I, that was my like light bulb moment. I knew this is the diet I could stick to for the rest of my life. And um, yeah, there's only a certain number of foods that I can stick to for ever, uh, honestly, like maybe eight or nine foods. This includes ground beef, liver, eggs, raw milk, mm. um, sardines, and then some fruits, including honey, um, pineapple, bananas, avocados, all those things I can eat every day without a problem. Right. And um, since then, I've kind of been off and on in terms of following more of a carnivore approach versus kind of being going back to like introducing more fruits and honey into my diet. But um, at the moment right now, I am doing a little bit of a cut. So I've eliminated most fruit, honey and dairy out of my diet. And, Good. I, um, I like that strategy. I'm a big fan of that. I, I'm, I'm so glad you didn't say that you used a little less fat. Um, the, the dairy and the carbohydrates are absolutely what I would, that's what I do. I stay lean all, all year round and I do carnivore with, um, with no dairy or very little dairy. I, I find that for most carnivores, when they start a big misconception, and for most animal based, when they start a big misconception is just eat as much dairy and as much fruit and honey as you'd like. And you can absolutely take it too far. We're going to get into that later, but absolutely. So, so then what? So yeah, right now, that's pretty much where I'm at in terms of my diet. I'm actually back to counting calories just because I have a deadline, not like a deadline, but I have a goal weight. And, um, you know, in some cases, you probably should count calories. But um, yeah, I'm doing about maybe 1600 to 1700 calories per day right now. Wow. That's a little bit aggressive. That, that's super low. Yeah, yeah in, my, yes. in my opinion. And I, uh, I can argue with you all day about calories and whether counting them is necessary. And uh, the, the biggest thing that I always say about calories here in the podcast is that one calorie of something is not equal to one calorie or something else. They're not all equal. And they're not even close to all equal. Um, as multiple ca- multiple foods from different groups, like if you take any vegetable seed oil or hydrogenated food, and you compare it to how you would output energy from eating a banana or how you would output energy from eating a steak. It's not even close. Like the energy out aspect greatly changes too much every day, in my opinion, for somebody to worry and track calories. So unless you are competing, this is where I think that would come in handy. Um, Now, as you might or not, not know that I'm not a big bodybuilding guy. I was always into gym culture. I was into exactly what we were into until I realized that, Hey, maybe Maybe if I, I would felt better if I actually ate more fats and, and a lot of bodybuilders, that's the first thing that they take out um, right away. They notice that, Hey, fats are nine calories per gram. Let's lower them as much as we can. And with that, you also lower your mood. You also lower your hormones. You also lower, lower libido, you lower energy. There's everything in your life goes downhill when you lower fats. I think you and I can agree that fats are by far the most important ma- macronutrient to prioritize in your diet, whether you do animal based or not. Um, now the carbs these come in, like I, I, I always say that you can build muscle in carnivore. There's no doubt behind it. There's a lot of people that do it. Keto carnivore, they can build a lot of muscle. If you're competing and you want to get to your most optimal state, they're doing some form of carbohydrate backloading, not that much can still reach your optimal state. So like a little bit of honey pre and post-workout would essentially build slightly more muscle at the most optimal state than if you weren't doing that. But 
most people aren't bodybuilders. I don't preach bodybuilding. I think it's unhealthy. Um, and anybody that's doing bodybuilding should realize it's unhealthy because if you're on a carnivore diet or you're on an animal-based diet, 99% of the people, if they stick to it for years and years, they're going to like the way their physique looks. They're going to be more than happy with their physique and they won't have to tweak it any longer. Um, something I did notice is I saw a video on skin the other day on, on your TikTok, and I thought it was really important that um, we talked about a little bit of, of how the gut connects to the skin and how you probably don't use any moisturizers or facial creams or anything like that. That's something I stopped as soon as I started this way of eating. Um, how does someone get clearer skin? What are some steps to take uh, or not to take uh, in the direction of, of uh, achieving good skin? So let's start with what not to do. Don't yeah. go to the grocery, not, not the grocery store, or go to like Amazon or like Sephora and spend hundreds of dollars on skincare products because they're garbage, All right, You have to heal the issue from within, within your gut. So first thing is eliminate every processed food you can think of. Um, eliminate most carbohydrates. Once you fix that, you really, you're 80% of the way there. Right. Maybe even 90% of the way there. Um, yeah, I think we place too much of an emphasis on pharmaceuticals in terms of pharmaceuticals and like skincare products, but we're not really tackling the issue from within. And I think that's something that we just don't talk about in society. as much. Definitely. No one, the average adult has no idea what gut health is or what the gut microbiome is or how important it is to our you know, our overall health and, and feeling the best you can, because essentially that's why you eat the way you do. And I eat the way I do. We want to feel the best we can uh, throughout our whole life and make our whole life as optimal as we can get it uh, mentally and physically. So by eating these foods, not only does your, your gut suffer, your skin also suffers. They're directly connected. So if you have a good gut and you're eating a lot of the correct kind of foods, you will have good skin. Here's what I do see a lot, which is unfortunate is people take gut health in the wrong direction on social media. When I see somebody's post about gut health, immediately after I see them having a massive salad with seed oil dressing on top of it. Uh, do you do you see that often? All the time. Or they're All promoting right. some like green supplement, like Blue yep. or something like that. And it's usually like the byproducts of like vegetables that they like throw into like a little supplement and then market it for if you could even call them that at that point, it's just powder or whatever's left of it. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's horrible and uh, they go the wrong direction. So what are the most gut friendly foods if you had to pick some? Um, so I would definitely include some raw dairy in your, in your diet, maybe some fermented vegetables in terms of sauerkraut pickles. I think those can be beneficial. Um, a little bit of sour cream may not hurt. Um, kefir. Um, but yeah, just focus on like eliminating foods. I feel like that's most of the battle right there. And then if you need to nourish your guts with a few natural probiotics in terms of food, then yeah. you can do so, but you know, yeah, stay away from like a lot of like the supplements out there because as new research is emerging about the gut, I feel like this whole like emergence of all these supplements just like came out of nowhere that's what happens it's it's a business so you know any business relies on their consumers to come back so as soon as you use the product and then your shitty diet brings it back and you stop using the product you're gonna go back to buying it again and until you fix the root and it's the same thing with the diet and same thing with weight loss and same thing with insulin resistance till you truly get down to that root and what's actually causing the problem is until you it, then you finally will uncover it and uh 
The same thing is with skin as with anything else. You can look at any carnivore skin, usually really good. They usually don't have eczema, any pimples anywhere. It's usually really good, good skin. Um, you can look at any ancestral tribe. If you've ever looked at a tribe, we know that they ate a lot of red meat. We know that they ate a lot of fat and organs. Um, look at their skin. Look how good their skin looks. And look what happens when uh, you experiment from yourself. Have you ever experimented with uh, vegetables since you've started this way of eating? And what, what happens? Because I had a breakout the first time I had, I had eczema uh, previously. So that's, that's what happened with me. So for me, I don't consume vegetables too, too often. Um, if I go over to like somebody's house and they're serving vegetables, I'm not going to be like a dick and say, no, I'm going to have a few, but for the most part, yeah, I'll probably have vegetables maybe once or twice a month. But for me to like actually notice a difference in my skin, I would need to eat them consistently. So I guess I'm lucky in that manner. Um, but yeah, vegetables, um, I'm not really consuming too much of these days. Yeah. And I think, I, I think that the people that do skincare have it all backwards as something that I've seen in skincare products. I literally see seed oils, um, in a lot of these products. They're very smart. And I don't know if they do this on purpose because they know it causes inflammation or that it's just cheap to manufacture, but I see in like Aveeno products and in Dove products, I see like sunflower oil and deodorant. I see sunflower oil, forget the parabens, forget aluminum. They, they literally have seed oils. And something people don't realize is what you rub in your skin also goes into your body. So yeah, so something I, I always say to people is never put anything in your in your skin that you wouldn't put in your mouth. Um, so there's cool ones out there. There's, a, there's some brands that sent me some stuff that they have like beef tallow bars and all this cool stuff. And I would I would put that on. Most of the time, though, I use absolutely nothing, like almost all of the time. I use absolutely nothing. I believe that a good diet will show good skin, um, but most people have the wrong idea of a good diet. Mm -hmm. um, do you, let's get a little bit into cholesterol. And uh, I go into cholesterol with everyone. Um, I think it's definitely one of my most talked about topics, but I wanted to talk about a post that I saw that you made. Um, and I never went into this, but some people are predisposed to have higher cholesterol than other people. That's just part of nature. We're all different um, in, in certain ways. We're all similar in other ways. And some people can have higher cholesterol than others. Should those people eat differently? How should they go about that? So I believe everybody should be eating the most nutrient dense foods that they can find. Um, this includes red meat, um, raw dairy, um, fruits. So I really don't think you need to change your diet based on predisposed genes because honestly, my parents have, if I'm predisposed to higher cholesterol uh, levels for my parents, which I am, like, it really doesn't make sense for me to like worry about, you know, like needing to take a statin because like, it just, yeah, how should I say this? What, what is a statin going to do pretty much? Is it going to like. Yeah, there's, there's lots of proof out there that statins don't necessarily lower inflammation at all. In fact, I see a lot of other side effects come from it. Uh, it seems that when you take something that's out of nature, like a statin and put it into someone who's eating natural food, everything gets worse. Uh, and this becomes, this is anything, a product, a drug, a pill. Anything that's taken outside of nature and then put into someone's body or injected in someone's body, something happens that's negative. Um, in the case of statins, 
uh, I see a lot of people with really bad symptoms um, from the statin and they're going through this every day, having to inject themselves. And from that, they get lower cholesterol. And, and I've spoken to also, I've spoken to cardiologists on this podcast, um, Dr. Ovedia, very, very nice guy. Have you heard of him? I haven't. No. He's, he's a, he's a carnivore. I, uh, I believe he's full carnivore. And he is a big believer that, um, what's it called? Cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease at all. Uh, LDL or HDL levels at all. They're, they're two of no concern. If they're high, it's a matter of fact, if they're bad, because uh, meat makes cholesterol high, but sugar then turns it bad. And that that's what he said. And, and that's what I firmly believe. And sugar is the absolute killer of heart health. It's sugar and seed oils are two of the biggest killers of heart health which is something, again, I have to say on animal-based, if you go too crazy with the sugar, you can absolutely get inflammation. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, guys like Paul Saladino, who I, I think are great doctors, they just, they promote it a little too hard. I, I think it's it's too, a little bit of an extreme, in my opinion. I think most humans would do very well low carb or, you know, zero carb, uh, especially if they have some sort of condition, which most of them do. Um, so cholesterol, in my opinion, is not a concern at all. I would worry about more like your triglyceride levels. I would worry about your fasting insulin, your A1C. I would worry about all of those. See if those are all normal or low normal. And if they are, then uh, your cholesterol is net. It's not an, not an issue at all. Um, you know, we we tend to blame the meat for what the the burger and uh, the the patty and the fries and excuse me, the bun and the fries and the mayo with seed oils and the milkshake really did. So in my opinion, that's all the meta studies are totally, totally wrong with cholesterol uh, from what I've seen and what I've read. Um, I think we need to start looking at the bigger picture when it comes person to person, because like you said, if I, if you have a high HDL, low triglycerides, normal fasting insulin levels, but you have a high LDL um, and your doctor wants to put you on statins, like, does it really make sense? Like if you take somebody else, for example, who's overweight, they're, they're smokers, they drink, they live a sedentary lifestyle, um, they have other poor dietary habits, and all of those other numbers are out of whack, and their cholesterol levels are higher, then it makes sense to maybe prescribe a statin and, and like maybe have them fix other lifestyle factors. But for somebody right. like me, like, what is a statin going to do? Is it really going to make that much of a difference? Because I'm already living a healthy lifestyle, like, exactly. Anything, I, I, you know, like lower my cholesterol and, you know, lower cholesterol levels aren't always a good thing. Exactly. I, I was about to mention that the same doctor, the cardiologist has, he's done a lot of heart surgeries. Um, it's one thing he prides himself on. He's seen, I believe the stat was 50% or more of his people had normal to low cholesterol that he did the surgeries on, which means there's no correlation to that at all. So he looked at all of his patients' cholesterol. He saw that 50% or, or more had lower or normal cholesterol levels how do they get heart attacks then if it causes cholesterol you know that, that's a it's a big question you look at our ancestors there or you look at two three hundred years ago heart attacks weren't a thing in our existence right now you know in the 20 whatever years we both live we go back 100 or 200 years that's not that long ago it's not really that long ago compared to how long we've been alive it's 99.9 percent um who've been alive longer for you go back and look at that time what were people cooking in they were cooking in tallow. They were cooking in butter. They used lard. They had red meat on the table and no one had heart attacks. It didn't become a thing since Eisenhower, really. Um, and 
the, the correlation just isn't there for me at all. Uh, it's so, it's so, it just makes so much sense when you really look at how vegetable oils are made and you look at the whole hexane and bleaching process and you could really see how that stuff can absolutely clog your arteries because it's not meant to be in your body. So something that's not meant to be in your body, like processed sugar, um, artificial sweeteners, all of these, you know, horrible additives that we've, we've had that come from a factory. Yeah. They probably got a higher chance of causing heart disease than red meat. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, I want to make another, another point here. I I, I hear a lot of, we do a lot of talk about vegans, obviously in this podcast, a lot of talk about vegetarians, plant-based people. Uh, One of their, their comments are animals are hurting the planet. Uh, Methane from cows is dangerous. Yeah. Can you, can you go over with me? How come plants are so much more harmful at hurting the planet than animals? What do they have wrong? So first of all, plants have defense chemicals that, well, if we go back um, to like a long time ago, we realized that the plants were here long before animals were. And, you know, before animals, there were insects and plants didn't have any mechanism of defending themselves. They didn't have claws. They didn't have teeth. They couldn't run away. So what did they naturally develop? They developed defense chemicals here saponins, your lectins, your phytoestrogens, your phytins, all that stuff. All that stuff isn't optimal in large amounts for human consumption. So by consuming large amounts, it leads to irritation in the gut. Like I mentioned earlier with Dr. Gundry, he mentioned leaky gut with lectins, um, bloating, irritation, all that fun stuff. But for the most part, humans were designed to eat meat. And, you know, there's a lot of talk that, you know, cows are hurting the planet in terms of their burping, creating um, creating excess methane. That's not true at all. Cows are simply like, when they eat the, um, the grass, there's methane in the grass and they're just recycling it into the air. They're not creating right. new methane at all. And one, one thing that people don't talk about is cows are actually necessary for regenerating the soil. Exactly. Like they're, they're peeing, they're pooping, they're kicking up soil, they're moving the soil around and it's creating more fertile, so more fertile soil for, for, for our future. Um, so I don't think that's really talked about too much. I, de- I definitely think so too. I was going to, as soon as you said the soil, I was like, I was going to address on that. And, uh, how, how might plants be uh, pretty hurting the soil? Because I, I hear a, a lot of farmers now on social media and a lot of big agriculture guys come out and they're like, do you know how many acres of land we have to plow so you can have your tofu? Do you know how many acres we have to plow to grow corn? Uh, totally unnecessary crop that Americans indulge on. Um, and tofu is pushed to be a healthier protein and a, you know, a, a more eco-friendly option than meat. It's, it's all backwards. And, um, also, the amount of animals that are killed when they do that and when they kill life themselves because plants are life as well. I mean, you have to think about it. How many, how much deer, bees, rabbits, bugs, worms are on those fields that can get completely plowed and destroyed? There's all these animals' habitats that are actually getting destroyed. So it turns out that you might be hurting much more life as a vegan than someone who's a literal carnivore. Do you know how long it takes me to eat a cow? I mean, I can eat a lot, but it takes me a long time to eat one single cow. Uh, And from that, like you said, the soil's regenerative, new life forms. It's a a beautiful cycle. It's how the world should be. Um, Unfortunately, when you get to this destruction of the world, 
plants are just end up being way more harmful. Absolutely. I wanted to talk a little bit about your experience with uh, the carnivore diet and sort of why you made that jump to animal based. Um, and I, I think you've tried it again and just uh, how, how you felt really, because I, I have a lot of animal based people here. I've lot of carnivore people. I had to get a gist of um, how people feel with the carbohydrates, with the fruit and honey and, you know, how, if you were, were truly doing it for long enough, because there, there are benefits past those 90 days. Yeah. So I can confidently say now that I didn't do the carnivore diet optimally. I was just kind of, you know, not, not playing around with it. I was doing it, but I was making a lot of mistakes that like newbies were making. So I didn't, I probably what I probably wasn't going to feel the effects of it. Um, anyway, so like the biggest mistake I made was not supplementing with electrolytes early on. Oh yeah. A hundred percent. That's a big one. Yeah. So I, I kind of stayed away from salts. I would just, I would just drink water because I felt like that was the best way to hydrate myself. And I wasn't aware that, you know, sodium, it's a necessary mineral, like you need it. Um, another mistake I would make was I would just, load up on the fat like almost in excess um i felt like that irritated um not like it caused excess diarrhea more than i wanted yeah um, but that eventually subsided and then in terms of my workouts i felt like i pushed a little too hard in the gym from what i was used to um especially in that transition period where you're transitioning from a high carbohydrate diet to more of a keto carnivore exactly. diet. Like exactly. your, body, your body has to get used to converting or it has to get used to burning the ketones as fuel. So like in that period, I felt like I was pushing a little too hard in my gym when I went to the gym. And so like, naturally I felt like crap when I was doing that. So, um, yeah. So that was, those were probably the biggest mistakes I made. And then as soon as I introduced fruit and honey back into my diet, um, all those went away because I was burning glucose again. Right. For the most part. Right. I, um, no, I, I totally, I think that it might work for you. Um, however, I think that if you did, if you gave carnivore another shot, you might really, you might feel really good. However, um, like you said, there is an adaptation period required. Some for some it's three to six weeks, for some it takes a few months where they really start to utilize fat as energy. And until then, and for my for hardcore um, you know, bodybuilders, powerlifters, people that really are in the gym trying to push themselves, you almost gotta take or or athletes, you have to take three, six months off. Like not off completely, just lighter, lighter movement. Um, like seriously, three to six months to get fat adapted in order to push really hard again. I'm a personal trainer, I've been there. I love training, I love pushing myself to fail. But I realized that when I went full carnivore, I was going to need some time. As soon as I was feeling a little drowsy, yeah, the electrolytes are so helpful for your first few weeks. As soon as you have enough electrolytes, though, you don't need to take them again uh, after the first few weeks. But they're almost crucial the first few weeks. And, um, you know, coming from animal-based, of course, we we both prioritize salt. I think it's really important that people salt to taste. But, yeah, you might need more salt than usual when starting out, especially if you're getting depleted of carbohydrates. Um you may have had the keto flu. You might not even know. You might have had keto flu. Um, so I, I personally would recommend for you to try it again because like the feeling that I've done animal-based too and I've, I've thrown it in there. 
I've done it for three months. And what I can say from it is I gained unnecessary body fat. It led me to eat a lot more from carbohydrates. And when I did it, I definitely went overboard with the fruit and honey. And I found it harder to control myself, definitely, um, because I'm so used to it being simple. Eat until you're full, eat fats until you're full, um, and eat, pro eat protein and fat until you're full. But when it came to portioning out the carbohydrates, it was frustrating for me. If I had too many carbohydrates, my IBS would come back, um, yeah. even if they're from fruit and honey. So it depends on your condition. It depends if you're like serious into powerlifting or bodybuilding, which I don't advocate for anyway, but there are certain situations where you might feel really good on carnivore. Um, so maybe after your bodybuilding career uh, is, is over, maybe you can give carnivore another shot um, or you can go fairly low carb and do like a spoonful or two of honey pre and post workout. I'm sure you'll do very well still um, mm -hmm. getting the glucose. And um, that, that's something else I wanted to ask you. If you are somebody who's animal based uh, and having carbohydrates, but they want to lose weight, when's the best time to have those carbohydrates? So for me, it's definitely right before workout. Um, you want those fast digesting carbohydrates in your bloodstream as soon as possible, just so you can get like the best workout possible. You can get the best pump possible. Um, other than that, um, you really don't need to be consuming carbohydrates after your workouts. You want to save those for proteins. Um, they're not going to hurt you in any regard, but they're not going to make a significant difference in the, in the muscle protein muscle protein synthesis process. Um, but yeah, that's just my personal experience. Uh, right before a workout is the best time to be consuming them. Um, or what I have done in the past is if I'm going to have like something like sweet potatoes or white rice, I will like, I'll have a big meal the night before a workout, like around seven or eight o'clock, I'll have white rice or sweet potatoes. And then I'll wake up in the morning and I'll go straight to the gym fasted and I'll be fine. Like yeah. those carbohydrates will still be in my system and I can still get a good workout in. But if I'm training like late morning, early afternoon, then I'll definitely have like maybe some honey or like a banana right before I work out just so I can get those carbohydrates in my system so I can have the best workout possible. Interesting. I think some people can get away with that like you and some people cannot do well with carbohydrates uh, like at night um, at all. Uh, I wanted to hear a little bit about your thoughts on the Randall cycle. Um, what happens when you mix a high fat meal and a high carbohydrate meal at the same time? Um, and what are your thoughts? Do you think the Randall cycle is optimal for someone who wants to lose weight? Um, do you think that it's something to worry about or be concerned about? Or do you have no concern over it? I personally haven't had an issue with it. Um, as long as I am consuming maybe one or two big meals per day, and I don't go overboard with the carbohydrates, if anything, like when I was doing animal based, I was doing maybe hundred grams of carbs per day. And I was doing maybe, um, hundred and 120 grams of fat per day. And I would have two big meals. So, um, most of my calories were going to be coming from fat anyway. Uh, so like maybe I would do 50 carbohydrate, 50 grams of carbohydrates, one meal, 50 carbohydrates in the other meal. Um, and yeah, I didn't really notice too much of a difference in terms of weight loss, or I didn't see it like inhibiting my weight loss at all. Um, I felt like I maintained my weight, if anything, um, but yeah, I didn't really notice too much of a difference. Yeah, interesting. I, uh, you've heard about the Randall cycle before this or no? 
I, I've heard a little bit. Uh, do you mind like explaining it for me? Yeah, it's basically, I mean, it's basically uh, what happens when you have a, a high fat and high carb meal, since those are both your sources of energy. If you have it at the same time, your body has to prioritize the glucose first. And then when you run out of the glucose, then it finally starts to burn the fat. Um, and for some people, it can inhibit weight loss. For some people, they don't notice anything. Um, but that's why I asked this person to person. It definitely changes. I know Paul Saladino um, is totally doesn't care about the Randall cycle at all. He's all for it. He says that eventually overnight, you will burn the fat. I disagree with him about that. I think if you're really trying to lose fat, you should pick one energy source, the other, preferably fats. Of course, you don't want to lower your fats. It's not a big deal to lower carbohydrates. I don't think that hundred carbohydrates is actually that bad for you. I think that's actually a really good strategy. I didn't know you were, I thought you were going a little higher than that, but that's actually fairly good. That's, um, that's what I would recommend for you anyway. So, um, yeah, some people like Paul can really take it out of control. He's having, I think up to 300 plus now grams of carbohydrates today. Um, it's interesting, like 100 carbohydrates, may, 100 grams of carbohydrates may not seem like a lot, but like when you put it down, like when you actually look at it in terms of fruit, it's not a small amount of like food. I mean, it's definitely sufficient. And um, yeah, it's just enough to get me through my day and like all, all my workouts. And yeah, it's what works for me. Yeah, I, I think that when you, um, it, it's quite, it, it is quite easy, though, on the other hand, for honey. And I think I want to go over the biggest mistakes that somebody can make when they first start animal-based and what, what you think um, you would have done differently if you started animal-based today. So biggest thing was not tracking my carbo, not like going easy with the carbohydrate consumptions, because for me, when I do too many carbohydrates, it can be a little bit of an addiction. Like Definitely. carbohydrates are extremely addicting. So I'll have one banana and I would like want two or three. So like you definitely have to, and this goes back to the whole like tracking calories. It, it works for some people, for other people, it may not work. Um, but, you know, definitely keeping in mind of how many carbohydrates you're feeling and then like listening to your body see how you're reacting to it. If it, if you feel like you need more then you know, give your body a little bit more, but, um, yeah, the biggest thing is just like try, going through trial and error and kind of determining, you know, what amount of carbohydrates work for you and, you know, what do amount you, of fat works for you. you. Yeah. Do you ever think there's a point where you have to restrict fat? Um, I'm not from dairy, just uh, fats and protein. Do you think there's a point where you have to restrict those or if you're eating the right foods, you can eat till satiety with those? Um, I think fats are a little bit more beneficial for me just because if I'm not getting enough fats, then like I'm miserable. Like mm -hmm. I'm hungry, my mood's off. Um, like I can feel me myself being more lethargic. Um, yeah, but I can emit carbohydrates and function pretty well, actually. Yeah. Um, I want to hear a little bit about what you eat in a day. Um, just take me through a walkthrough of your, your regular day of eating when you first started animal based and now, and how has it kind of changed? Everybody makes these little adjustments. Um, so how have you changed? So my day pretty much starts the same way. I will have usually six eggs. Um, for a while I was doing bacon. I kind of cut out bacon just because I didn't need it anymore. And I would do about four or five ounces of sirloin steak. I would just pan fry it. 
and then I would usually have some fruit. It would be avocado or maybe a banana. And I would like drizzle some honey over it. That's another thing. When I was first starting, I would just like lather up the honey. Yeah. Like I wouldn't <laughs> track that at all. And it was a little bit of a problem. Definitely. But um, yeah, that's a typical breakfast for me. And then I would pretty much always do ground beef every day. Um, I would do the 8515 because that's the cheapest grass fed I could find. I would do a pound of that and I would do anywhere from one to four ounces of liver. Um, and then I would just, while I was cooking my ground beef, I would cut up the liver and just throw it in there because liver takes like 30 seconds to cook. And then along with that, I would do some other fruit. I would do, I love pineapple too. So I would do pineapple with some honey and then for dessert, I would just do um, like a glass of raw milk with another banana. So all in all, I would be doing about 100 grams of carbs per day, maybe 110 grams of fat. And then my protein pretty much stays the same throughout the year, 160 grams. I want to get that one gram per pound of body weight. So yeah, those were my macros pretty much. Now on this cut, uh, it's very restrictive. It's slightly concerning, but um, I'm doing four eggs in the morning. I'm doing a can of sardines and then that's, that's one meal. So that's about, I want to say 600 calories. And then for my second meal, I would do, I'm going to, I do, um, a pound of 90, 10 ground beef. So I cut down on the fat a little yep. bit. Um, and then I'm doing two ounces of liver and then I would have, um, I have, um, a glass of raw milk. So all in all, I'm doing about 1700 calories. Per oh, day. so you're, so you're pretty much carnivore then pretty much at the moment. Yeah. There you go. So that, that would literally make you carnivore at the moment. Yeah. So you would, uh, do you, have you done electrolytes since you started this cut? Yeah, absolutely. I am like 7,000, 8,000 milligrams of sodium per day. And okay. I'm, I'm fatigued just because my calories are so of low. Course. Of course. Like exercising a lot. But like for the most part, like I can, I can do normal tasks throughout the day. It's only like in the evening when I'm like tired and hungry and I just want to go to sleep. But like, yeah, that's pretty much a day in the life of me right now. Um, but let's get into the one gram of protein per pound of body weight, because that's like the biggest fitness thing that I hear all the time. And yeah. what I've noticed is I had the same muscle development on 0 0.7, 0 0.6, 0 0.8 grams of protein per pound of body weight. Mm -hmm. Don't necessarily have to track if you're carnivore because you're always getting an adequate amount of animal protein per meal. So this is why I don't necessarily need my clients to track any of their protein. But something interesting is you might require even less of protein when you are getting these, all of these essential amino acids from all the essential animal products. Um, when a lot of the studies do the one gram of protein per pound of body weight, they're often measuring somebody who does a standard American diet or a bodybuilding diet, which are pretty similar stuff. There's still seed oils, there's still rice, there's still all these other grains, um, like oatmeal and all this stuff. So for them, a pound of protein per pound, one gram of protein per pound of body weight with uh, four grams of spinach, you know, from protein and seven grams from, a, from peanut butter or whatever they're having, not incomplete protein, 
yeah, they would probably need close to a gram per pound of body weight. But I find a lot of people on meat-based diets can get away without tracking at all. And they'll often do very well. I have a similar schedule to you. I always have eggs in the morning. I do 15 in the morning uh, on carnivore. And I'll do like two or three pounds of meat at night. Usually it's grass-fed ground beef as well. Um, mm. But, you know, I, I never, ever, ever worry about getting adequate amount of protein, even if it is slightly less than one gram per pound of body weight, which sometimes some days it is you will build a good physique with carnivore. 99% of people are going to be satisfied with their physique and they will build, build muscle and lose fat just with this way of eating alone over a long period of time. So that's what mm -hmm. I, that's what I think about the whole one gram thing. I don't, I don't necessarily think that you need to track to the dime. Um, if you're bodybuilding, you want to get a certain number each day. Yeah. It makes sense to get an optimal range, but once you get past one gram, especially with animal foods, nothing else. I mean, you could try, you could eat it for satiety reasons, but other than that, you know, fat is mainly for satiety reasons, which is probably the biggest bodybuilding misconception. So that's how I feel about that. Um, let's get into a little bit about probiotics. Um, and if they're necessary, because I hear all of that crap throughout my, my time as a trainer here in, in, in the gym, I hear people say, did you take your probiotics today? Did you take green powders today? Do you take all this like freaking garbage supplements? And, and not probiotics, let's talk supplements in general too, uh, for your gut and for your, op, you know, overall optimal health. Do you do any supplements? Do you recommend any supplements at all? I'm personally a no supplement guy. I do raw organs every day. So how do you feel about it? So, yeah, um, in terms of nutritional supplements, I really think that you don't need to supplement with anything because you're getting everything you need from the meat that you eat. But for me, because I'm kind of, focused on like that performance enhancing, like not like not PEDs, but like I'm more drawn to like the bodybuilding community. And, um, you know, I want to increase my performance in the gym to the best of my ability. Um, I am supplementing with creatine right now. I know right. it might be a little bit of an overheal because I'm doing a carnivore diet and I might be getting sufficient creatine already, but better be safe than sorry. And then I'm doing vitamin D right now just because there's no sunlight in Philly right now. So I just wanted to make sure I'm getting um, sufficient vitamin D. And then I am using pre-workout supplements. I know it might not be 100% optimal, but like I just do it for the experience of, you know, mm -hmm. having the best gym performance overall. Uh, yeah, I definitely think so. I definitely think that those are, are important for gym performance, especially if you're cutting that low. Now the, the standard is around two grams of uh, two pounds of red meat is about five grams of creatine. What the average person would take if they're going to the gym, uh, mm -hmm. any more than five grams of creatine becomes essentially pointless. Um, it's also found in seafood too. So if you're getting the sardines and the one pound of meat, you might just be hitting five grams, but I understand why you would also supplement too. Um, especially if you're going that low, when you get back up to normal and you're having those two pounds of red meat a day, don't supplement. No need. I, that's, that's my advice. T totally. There's, it's a it's a waste of time i see a lot of also problems with vitamin d supplements um out there you got to make sure you get a really clean one because yeah if you're somebody that sits inside all day i don't advocate for that kind of lifestyle so you might have to supplement um even in the winter it's really important just to go out and get a walk in sunlight or to wake up to natural sunlight um so if you're not doing that and you want to supplement vitamin d be careful because a lot of them are rancid on the shelves and filled with seed oils because they put seed oils in that too have you ever seen that I have. I actually bought one with coconut oil instead of. There you go. 
There you go. And and in my opinion, I think you would agree coconut oil is probably the safest plant oil there is out there yeah. uh, with the most saturated fat and mm-hmm. the less linoleic acid. Mm-hmm. Um, let's get into organs though, um, because I personally am a big, big organ guy. I think it really does matter. I think the coolest part of the animal-based community besides the carnivore is you guys really focus on organs, uh, whereas carnivores kind of take it or leave it. That's what That's what I hear a lot about in our community. I'm focused. I'm super focused on organs and grass fed and good quality meat. So have you noticed differences when you took the organs? Have you noticed, um, and which ones do you take? I know you do liver. Do you do any other ones? Um, at the moment, I'm just doing liver in the past. I've done heart, but I've kind of like stayed away from heart for a little while. Not for any particular reason. I just think it's a pain in the ass to like cook because you have to break it. Breaking it down is painful because there's so much surrounding. I go to like, um, there's just like a meat grocery store about like five minutes away from me and they have whole hearts there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like, there's always some excess fat around the heart and just like breaking it down. is just such a process for me. Yeah, it is. I actually have a pro uh, I have, um, an affiliate deal with carnivore Chris and they, uh, have beef hearts. Yeah, so me too. Me too. I order tons from them. And then, um, but yeah, mainly just liver and heart. Liver is just super easy to cook with. It's convenient. It's not the most tastiest, but like when you're when you're like me, and I know a lot of people in this community can agree, we don't eat for taste. We eat for nutrient uh, density. Eventually, and- though, when you're not addicted to sugar anymore, this stuff tastes pretty damn good. Um, yeah. You know, when, when when you break that addiction, yeah, to most people eating ground beef in a bowl would, be, would sound freaking weird. Like, you know, where's your taco seasoning? Where's all, where's your sour cream? And I mean, not sour, where's your, uh, your tomatoes and all, all these other toppings and the shell, where's all that at? And it's, it sounds weird, but try it. Whole ingredient food diets are key. They're the top of optimal health. I, I agree. Um, with organs, my strategy is, I don't know if you've seen on my Instagram is I take the, I, I do heart as well. I'm a, I'm big in heart. I do liver, heart, spleen, testicle every day. And, okay. um, I take the, the heart, I trim around it. I, cut out the atrium. Uh, I get the the meat, the real meat in there and I get it trim around the fat. What I do is I cut it up into little pieces and I put it in a little, in my freezer in this, almost this ice cube tray. It's from Amazon. It's like half the size of a regular ice cube tray. So it's really small bite-sized pieces. And I just stuff it in there. And each morning I pop them like multivitamin. I found better effects from those than I did with something like heart and soil and ancestral supplements. I feel way better consuming them actually raw than in the pill form, even though people say that, you know, they're still preserved. I find, I find way better effects. Have you ever tried it in the pill form? Do you, do you see a difference? I haven't like, I'm always like slightly um, skeptical about like what other stuff they're putting in like the actual pill form versus if I get the actual liver, I know it's pure liver and it's really not that much of a hassle for me to cook it. Yeah. Um, So yeah, I, I've always stuck with like the actual foods. I'm always a big believer that get your nutrients from food first. And then if you need to supplement with it, then supplement with it. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and one of my final questions is, is, uh, all about organic fruit. Um, how do you find organic fruit? What are the benefits to it? Um, because I want to, I want to talk a little bit about glyphosate, a little bit about what they spray on the fruit, uh, they spray on the crops too, and the soil that it's grown on all of that stuff, because, Fruit can be a really tricky one to get good quality. And if you're going to have the money, I absolutely recommend you go organic. And we could talk about grass-fed meat too. 
But, you know, I prefer, if anything, if you get grain-fed meat, that at least if you're doing animal-based, you get the fruit organic. Do you think so? Yeah. So organic fruit isn't as expensive as people, like, make it out to believe. It's maybe 10 or 15 cents more. And you can go to Walmart, and they have organic fruit there. Um, So, yeah, it's really not that much of a hassle, like, to get organic fruit. Um, I, I believe the trick is um, if it starts with a nine, then it's organic. Anything else, it's not organic. So that's a pretty easy way to see. Yeah. Plus, you can see the color of the fruit. It's a lot brighter, and you can tell that it hasn't been sp- sprayed with pesticides and all that crap. But um, yeah, whenever I can, I get organic fruit. If I eat a piece of non-organic fruit, it's not the end of the world. But you know, for the most part, aim to get organic fruit. It's not going to break the budget. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I think so as well. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's hard to budget at all. I think it's fairly affordable and you don't even have to do fruit, uh, which is another thing you, yeah. you can do your carbohydrates from honey. If you really need them, um, yeah. a spoonful of honey every day is quite a few carbohydrates and it's fairly cheap. Um, so, you know, you can spend money on good quality honey and get away with it. Also, the thing I like to say about grass-fed and grain-fed meat is if you're going to buy grain-fed meat, if you can't afford the grass-fed meat, try and get the grass-fed butter or try and get the grass-fed tallow so that at least those fats that you're cooking with don't have as many omega-6s, don't have as much inflammatory seed oils, sugar, uh, processed sugar, and grains in them as well. Um, Because remember, what your animal eats is super important. That's something I experienced with bacon too. I used to be a big bacon guy. And it just didn't make me feel as good as beef until Mm -hmm. I really understood that, hey, my bacon's not great quality. It's probably eating corn and grain because 99% of it is. So if that has all the fat and all the corn and grain accumulates in their fat, maybe I don't feel as good because of that. And then since then, I've eaten red meat every single day. Um, I'll throw in bacon here and there, but I I definitely think that on an animal-based or carnivore way of eating, ruminant animals every day, eggs every day, if you can tolerate them. And then you can do raw dairy every day as well. And then chicken, uh, turkey, pork, duck, one to two times a week uh, seems to be a really good balance for people. I think people can overdo the bacon when they start carnivore. That's something that I hear. And especially not, not good quality bacon. I, I hear it all the time. Is like, I did so much bacon. And I just don't feel that good right now. Well, you just uh, had as many omega-6s as the regular American diet. So you probably don't feel as good for that reason. But what your animal eats is important. Correct. My final question for you is, have you noticed that you can eat more calories with this way of eating and maintain the same or better physique? And this is something that I really, really noticed a difference in myself. Now, when I was 100 pounds heavier than I am now, I was eating... I don't know. It took a lot of calories for me to get that heavy. It took a lot of sugar for me to get that heavy because at the end of the day, nobody gets that big without an addiction to sugar. And that's the unfortunate truth to it. So I lost the weight, whatever. I was still counting my calories. Now I don't do it anymore. I'm still against it, but I was still counting my calories. I lost the weight and I was eating, I don't know, 18, 1900 calories a day. For me, I'm a 5'11 male. I'm fairly active. It's very, very low. It's, it's quite low. And doing that over a long period of time. So when I up my calories when I started carnivore, immediately gained a lot of weight. Um, and I ate till I was full. So that's what you're taught is when you when you follow this way of eating, you might put on some weight, but I think it's healthy weight. I gained 20 pounds when I first started carnivore the first few weeks. I was on a restrictive bodybuilding kind of diet and I was told I could eat till I'm full. So of course I piled on the butter, I piled on the cheese and it led me to gain a lot of weight. And then over time, the next few weeks, 
I've lost the weight completely. Everything, my hunger cues and signals returned back to normal. And I was finally full and satiated and the weight flew off. So I think it's important to understand that calories matter on a standard American diet. Calories don't matter when you eat protein and fat for long periods of time. And certain calories and other calories will not make you expend the same amount. So if you have a protein-filled diet and your thermic effect of food, the calories that you burn by digesting is very high, it's a lot different than a fat and carbohydrate-filled diet. Like if you eat ice cream with no protein, you're not burning that. And what do you do after you eat chips and ice cream? You feel sluggish, you lay down. And it's there's no coincidence that those type of people that eat that kind of food are very sluggish and lazier. And there's no coincidence either that people like you and I that eat nutrient-dense food expend a lot of energy. We move around, we talk a lot. And I definitely think that the quality of food matters more than the calories. What do you think about all that? So number one, I feel like I can't possibly like eat the same amount of food that I used to eat just because what I used to eat was highly processed, hyper palatable foods that you could just take down now, because I'm focusing on the nutrient density, like I'm naturally going to be more satiated. Like when I eat like a piece, when I have like a pound of ground beef versus if I were just to eat like bread with like chicken that's what i used to eat my parents are indian so like that's what i eat would eat on a daily basis there's not a lot of nutrient density in those foods so like my body would require more and more just to feel satisfied now i have one meal and i'm good for three or four hours and i think that's the biggest thing when you transition from a highly processed diet to a protein and fat filled uh, healthy protein and fat filled diet, you're going to feel satiated a lot faster. So it's really, it's not impossible to overconsume calories, but you'd have to try. Fun. Yeah. You'd have to physically try Like, this is what I say to people. Like if you're getting fat on keto, you didn't do keto the right way and you didn't do it for long enough. That's for sure. Uh, you probably had the keto bars and snacks, which is not actual keto because that's why I hate using that term all the time. And I hate using the word calorie all the time, because if you if you see something in the store and it says low calorie, people just think it's good and they buy it and that's it. So consumers get really tricked by marketing. But to do a real diet like you and I do is almost no, if no, if all, no processed food um, whatsoever in a box or a bag. It's all real food that you would find out in nature. And eating those foods until satiety for a long period of time will create a physique that looks like you are a human being from nature, not someone that's overweight or obese. So that's how I like to word that. And I think that if you eat a species appropriate diet, you will eat, you will look like a normal human being who's meant to be lean and muscular and move into their 60s, 70s, 80s, as opposed to a standard American where we get tons of diseases and, uh, you know, not like our ancestors at all. So th those are uh, my thoughts on, on the whole calories thing. I've, no I've noticed that I now eat 4,000 plus calories a day easily. I'm 175 pounds and I eat, like I said, I eat 10 to 15 eggs every single day. I eat at least two or three pounds of red meat every single day. And that's pretty much the bulk of my eating. It's a lot of calories. Uh, it's like four, 5,000 calories. I use a lot of tallow, a lot of butter, um, and I won't gain a pound. As soon as I add a lot of dairy, as soon as I add a lot of carbohydrates, it drives me to eat more. The dairy will put on weight. Absolutely. No problem. Um, and when I was doing a standard American diet, if I ate more than 2000 calories, I would start to put on weight no matter what it was. So your metabolism will greatly shift based on the foods that you put in your body.
And the, uh, I, I guess the last final, final question uh, for you, Aria, is uh, just to shout out a little bit of, of your social media. Where can people find you? How can they contact you? Your Instagram, TikTok, all that stuff. Yeah. So you can find me at Instagram on Instagram and TikTok at I am Ariananda, um, my name, and then I am in the front of them. And then, yeah, I post pretty much every day on TikTok and Instagram, um, usually, you know, educational content about the animal-based diet. Sometimes I'll post some recipes. Usually I'll shout out like what I'm eating for the day and yeah, all that typical fun stuff, maybe some workouts here and there. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much Amazing. it. Great stuff. And that will all be in the, in the link in the description, by the way, um, for you guys to find. And I'm sure we can find your other social medias in your bio and Instagram as well and everything else you have. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome having you on. It was awesome getting to, uh, to talk to you and, uh, and thank you for chatting today. Of course. Thanks for having me. No problem.